You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Earth Station One listeners, and welcome to another episode. This one's kind of a special one. This one is going to be a portion of it pre-recorded recently at Monsterama back at the beginning of October, and we are going to be talking all about the 45th anniversary of Interview with a Vampire. Can you believe it's been that long since this wonderful novel that pretty much changed the vampire genre from the ground up? And it's going to be a lot of interesting talk and a lot of interesting conversation, which we've already done already. So I know how it comes out. So, but it's pretty cool. And the man who helped put this together is my co-host as always, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy and happy Halloween. This is our final episode in our countdown to Halloween series this month. We've got a couple of movie reviews that we're doing this month. So we had to keep that short. Uh, an abbreviated version of Countdown to Halloween, if you will, but uh, hopefully still just as fun. Uh, we got a lot of great comments about uh, the Spooky Tunes episode that we did a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we had a good response, and as Mike said, a good conversation about a classic book that really affected my life uh, growing up, uh, which is uh, Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. So it doesn't um, suck. Let's just say that. Oh. <laughs> well, it kind of does suck, but that's a t- I see what you did there. I see oh, of course. And for those people wondering, yes, we do talk about the movie a little bit and uh, we do spoil the heck out of it. So if you've never seen the movie, never read the books, uh, you know, do all that and then come back to us. Where you been? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been talking. We talked well, all about it. The, they're waiting for the new series to come out. Well, it's true that it, it's it's still very popular. To, Absolutely. And, you know, it's still bringing in rice and tons of money. So it's not like she's, like, sitting in the poorhouse. Oh, I wish those 12 books I did would have done something. But no, she's, you know, she's made a, you know, a fortune off of it. And she's made a living off of it. And she's created, you know, whole universes and all based off this one book, which is pretty cool. And this is where it all began. So it's pretty, it was a lot of fun. So we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Feedback at Earth Station One. What did you guys think of Interview with the Vampire? Did you guys read it when it first came out or, you know, in your high school years? Or did you see the movie first? I'm curious about that. And, you know, definitely would love to hear from you guys on this one. Please, you know, write us, as we said, feedback at earthstation1.com. And if you get a chance, please, of course, subscribe to the show. That's the best way to keep up with Earth Station One. And we got next week, we got episode 600 coming your way. 600! We have been doing this for quite some time. And, you know, we love love talking to you guys and we love hearing from you guys. And it's always a blast. So please, you know, write us, as we like to say, and subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Even people you see on the street. Hey! Earth Station One's coming up on our 600th episode. That's not a something that we, you know, laugh at or, you know, scoff at all that much. You know, it just feels like yesterday we did episode 200. You know, when we were at, I think we were, for episode mm-hmm. 200, I think we went to Odin Comics, I think, if we remember correctly. I believe that's correct. So. No, not, uh, well, two, was 200? I don't know. I get him confused. 200, I think. Uh, we, 200 we did. 100? 100 we did in my, in yeah, my dining room. 
right. a, in my dining room. <laughs> and then 200 we did at Odin's. I think 300, 300 we, we, we did, did a Titan. Titans, right. I don't remember what we did for 400. And then 400 would be just reviewed the Star Wars movie because we had the first, uh, that was when Force Awakens came out. Oh, that's right. Uh, so we had, uh, I believe that's when Force Awakens. So we, we that, I mean, what well, better to celebrate our anniversary than you know, Star Wars. a new Star Wars movie? Well, um, and, and that then, was the first of many Star Wars stuff to come. So exactly. Who knew that how much was going to be coming our way at that time? We Which, didn't. you know, it was really appropriate for me because the first time I was ever on the show it was a Star Wars episode. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So, um, and then, fi- then 500, 500 so, it was at so, yeah. infinite realities over in Tucker, so, Georgia. And, so. uh, and, you know, due to, you know, things still being uncertain out there, we didn't want to encourage any big events at any sort of, you know, other comic shops or any places like that. So not yet. So, we're not so, ready for it. Yeah, exactly. So we're just, uh, going to do a low key, uh, episode for our anniversary, but we're celebrating a long-awaited cool movie, so uh, we're reviewing it anyway. We'll see if there's if there's something to celebrate about it. Uh, I guess next week, but um, uh, so and that's you know that's what we do. So I think that's a, a good. I, way I think it's to, appropriate. I really yeah, exactly. think it's appropriate. You know, it was either that or we were going to do a flashback episode of every time Mike Gordon said howdy. So yeah, it been we great. just rerun all six hundred of those. Or exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just just an hour and a half of me saying howdy howdy you know i've heard people do you know you know every time homer simpson did dough so why not do every time mike gordon says howdy that would that would ensure that 600 would be our least listened to episode ever i actually <laughs> but it, it'll be fun and you know I, we're expecting you know this is uh, supposedly going to be a huge movie, and we're really looking forward to talking about it. So it should Absolutely. be should be a ton of fun. So definitely, you know, also want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Uh, new episode of ESO Board Silly actually just went live today as of this recording. So that's an exclusive podcast going out to our patrons. And for as little as a dollar a month, you could help support the ESO network. And we talked about some Halloween memories that we had from growing up. What was it like? And also, you know, did it, did Halloween actually mean something to us or did it not? So it was very interesting to see what was up with that. And it was myself, Mike Gordon, of course, and Kevin Eldridge joining us for the board silly episode. And it was a it was a lot of fun, actually. So definitely check it out. It, but it's like I said, it's only exclusive to our patrons as a way of saying thank you. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. And for as little as a dollar a month, you too can be bored silly. Before we get going, though, let's also thank our sponsor for this week, which is, of course, Tofosi Optical. Tofosi Optical is a great glasses store where you can actually have some amazing materials coming towards you because you have, you don't only have sunglasses, folks. You also have exercise and safety goggles. You also have blue light blocking glasses. You also have face shields. You also have, you know, sporting goggles and glasses. And it's just, 
endless what they have there. And if you have a prescription, guess what, folks? Tifosi Optical can take care of you, too. So you can get custom-made sunglasses with your prescription in it. So, you know, you could actually look cool and not be blind as a bat like some of us who have to wear glasses most of the time. So it's pretty cool. Check it out, TifosiOptics.com. Put in the coupon code EarthStation1. And yes, you, too, can get 10% off your whole order. Not just one item, your whole order. That's TifosiOptics.com. And now we're here with new friend of the show, actress extraordinaire, Ashley Lawson. Welcome to Earth Station One. Hello. I'm excited to be here. And we are excited to have you. Welcome to the station. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with you or what you've done, tell us a little bit about what, uh, what you've done. I am an actress. I have a, quite a few things under my belt um, on my IMDb, some other things that are not quite IMDb level that are on my resume, but um, I was fortunate enough in August, I wrapped my first supporting role in a feature film. Um, it's called The Dangerous Ones. It is currently in post-production and um, they're looking to submit that to some film festivals. I had at the end of September, a supporting role in a short film called Not Nothing that made its premiere at a uh, film festival in Beverly Hills. So that was a lot of fun. And I have another project that's currently being pitched to networks and streaming services. So kind of waiting to hear some good news back about that as well. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on, which is good to hear. Good to hear, especially in this yeah. this day and age, right? This environment, right? Yes. So, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, it sounds like. I mean, I don't know how you know the last year or so affected you, but of course, uh, a lot of things stopped for a while. So, uh, it's good to see that a lot of things are picking back up, and that's good news. They are, um, and you know, I feel like. It, everything did shut down for a long time, but because everybody was in quarantine, it kind of forced people to channel their creative side. So mm. a lot of people that are not normally producing things, writing things, did that, and now they're wanting to get it out in front of people. So it seems like um, it was slow picking back up at first, but now it's just constantly stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, looking over your IMDb anyway, and, and certainly, uh, I, I'm going to start with this since we are in October and, uh, we like to celebrate the month of, uh, Halloween here. It looks like you've uh -huh. done some movies that could, could qualify as horror movies. Uh, um, and, and I know that for a lot of actors and a lot of, uh, talent, people looking for stuff. A lot of uh, the lower budget stuff is is horror related, right? That's that's very common. Yes, it is very common, and I haven't. I was actually speaking with somebody a couple weeks ago about this. Is that I would love to do full fledged horror, and um, somebody I was speaking with is actually going to write a screenplay and cast me in it because we had such an exciting conversation about wow, it. Wow, very nice. But, yeah, my one thing that could be classified as a horror film was Baphomet. Um, I'm in one scene. I was a cult member. And that was, <laughs> it was an interesting experience, not only for the context of it, but honestly, that project was my first project where I was on a full-fledged set. Mm -hmm. And so it was fun to see how all of that worked. It was in the middle of winter because we actually filmed it at a haunted house here in the Dallas area. Wow. They filmed most of it in the summertime like out in Los Angeles and then I guess they wanted this one specific location in Dallas and it's regularly a haunted house 
So they had to wait till the season was over to get there. And being that it was out of season, there was no heat, no air conditioning. So we were freezing and oh. but and we froze all day for one scene, but it was worth it. It was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> um, that's really awesome. And and do you have a um an affinity for those kind of movies or is is are you are do you strive to to look for when you look for projects, are you just like I'm just going to take whatever I can get, or are you looking for specific things and projects? Um, sometimes it goes both ways. Um, you know, it really just kind of depends on what kind of season I'm in, if that mm. makes sense. Um, sometimes you do kind of get in a phase where you've not done a lot of work, so you just want to kind of throw things against the wall and see what sticks. And other times you can be a little bit more particular. I personally um, love the horror genre i actually just went and saw halloween kills last night nice. uh, the michael myers franchise is my favorite one <laughs> but yeah i've always i think i've seen so many of them i like to watch the ones that are more psychological and thrilling as opposed to gory necessarily because i'm just genuinely on the search to find something that actually scares me and the new amityville horror came out when i was in high school and that is the only movie that has legitimately scared me. I think it kept me up for like two days because I had this weird, like sudden fear that my house was on an Indian burial ground <laughs> and I was suddenly going to start to become possessed as well. But it came, it saw, it conquered. And now I'm looking for the next thing that scares me like that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you, you filmed in a, uh, a scare or a um, haunted house type environment uh -huh. um uh those are prevalent now man when i was younger they they weren't heard of but now they're prevalent almost every major city ha area has some um yeah do you do you go to those a lot as had you had you been to that one before I had not been to that one before I'd driven by it. So I was familiar with the location. Um, and as much as I like to watch horror films, I'm not really one for haunted houses, right. mostly because right. I I don't want things to actually jump out at me. The only uh, haunted house that I ever went to was a, I was in a sorority when I was in college and one of the fraternities philanthropy events was a, uh, was a haunted house. And that particular fraternity, um, their philanthropy was, I think supporting AIDS in Africa and mm. they, all of the money went to that. So I went to that, but it was different. It was scary, but I knew most of the people that were in it. So it wasn't quite the same experience as if you went to a regular haunted house where you didn't know anybody. Yeah. 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 Well, some of them are, are really elaborate and yeah, I'm not, I'm not big on them myself, but uh, yeah. Cause I don't like, I don't like things. I really don't like things touching me. So, <laughs> yeah. so I know some yeah. of them don't cross that line, but still it's, ugh, it's just uh, close enough. Um, <laughs> um, also, I noticed uh, there was one credit that you have on here on your IMDb that you're listed as a, a staff writer. And I'm kind of curious, is, do you, do you want to get involved more in behind the scenes as well? Um, I think eventually. And to be quite honest, I don't know how that got there. Because if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> you're looking at Elixir of Life, yes, correct? Yes, yes. 
Yeah. So, and I actually refuse to take any credit for that because the young lady that wrote it, she actually won awards for it. And that's why they actually put it into production and it was filmed like a drunk history kind of thing. So the only thing I can figure was because they did ask me to, because I played two parts. I played the drunk narrator and I played the female lead in it as well. And so the only thing I could figure why they added that credit to it is because I was asked to do some improv of some lines as well where they kind of fit in mm -hmm. um so i don't know if they're counting that but <laughs> because she won awards with it on her own that made the film move into production i refuse to take that credit and i will be the first one to tell you more than likely it was a mistake <laughs> but it is something but, that you but you might be interested in doing Yes, yes, I would be interested in writing. I've actually started writing several things myself, um, kind of crime type related slash dry humor, circa like The Office and Parks of Rec kind of Parks and Rec kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so just a matter of finishing them and then hopefully doing something with it from there. Um, but I've also kind of dabbled into um possibly wanting to direct at some point as well nice. um it wasn't ever something i thought i would want to do but as i've been on set i've done um production assistant work with some people that i'm close with here in dfw and all of them have been like have you ever thought about directing because you have a really good eye for things so now that they've put the like planted the seed in my head i'm like <laughs> hmm, maybe one day yeah yeah very cool um, let's dial it back a little bit. When do you recall, like at an early age, what made you interested in acting or movies or, or performing in general? Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and I, we have an Orpheum theater down there in downtown Memphis, and I am a huge Disney nut. And I don't think you're ever too old to outgrow it. Nope. And I think you can experience it like a child, even if you're 66 years old. Um, but anyway, I Peter Pan came to the Orpheum Theater and I wanted my dad to take us to see it. I'd never been to the theater before and seen something take place live action. And so he bought our family tickets to go see it. And it was a very magical experience for me, not only because you were seeing Peter Pan in person, but that was kind of the first moment it dawned on me. These people are up there. They're having fun. They're performing. People are watching them. They're happy doing it and they're getting paid for it too. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the moment I was like, I, I want to do this. I want, I want to make people feel the way I was feeling as a little girl, just being in this magical space, even if it was only for a couple of hours. Wow, that's really cool. I was yeah. actually in a production of Peter Pan way back before you were born. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but I was a pirate, and it was a really cool experience. I, I really liked that, and I, I it was really cool performing. So have you performed in front of crowds? Have you done stage work? I have done stage work, yes. I um, Let's see. My bigger stuff that I've done, I was the Red Fairy in Sleeping Beauty. I played the Queen in Many Moons. I um, was a supporting character for a play called Nellie's Song, which was um, based on a true story of the director had actually gone to um, Germany and Poland and went and looked at concentration camps and things mm -hmm. like that. And um, she met a lady when she was actually at Auschwitz that told her her story. And so it's based on her story and her name was Nellie's 
um, hence Nellie's song. So I played a supporting character in that named Mrs. Janowska. And I also was um, later on a girl in the concentration camp as well. Wow, that sounds and pretty then, intense. Yeah, it was. it was. It was a lot of fun, though. I've always been really into World War II because there are so many different dynamics at play with it because of all of the countries that got involved, all of the reasons why they got involved, all of the major players within it. So it's always been something that intrigued me in the first place. And so doing that play was really one of my favorite things. And I would love, love, love to be in a World War II film as well. Mm -hmm. It's definitely on my bucket list, but <laughs> I've done some smaller things too. I was in the ensemble choir in Oklahoma and, um, did a very, very small role in a production called Bang Bang You're Dead, which was directed by one of my close friends when I was a senior in high school. And they kind of allowed seniors to do their own kind of like a senior showcase kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was a stagehand for that. And he asked me if I would like read a letter at the beginning of it. And it's, it's a beautiful play about school shootings. Um, and that was kind of before like back at that time, the only really big school shooting that had taken place was Columbine. And so now I think it would it would resonate a lot more now than it even did then. Absolutely. Yeah. Another intense subject. Yeah, I don't yeah. I, I doubt those were musicals, right? <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> no singing and dancing in that one, although that would be very surreal. Um uh, you mentioned a few times that uh, you're out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Is that a pretty good, rich community for, for film and, and working? I think so. Um, when I first started, I've been doing film and TV here for probably about five years. And of course, this may just be my perspective with kind of getting into it, meeting people, because once you start that networking, it's amazing what kind of doors will open, what kind of people you can meet. Um, but we have a very rich indie film community here. So there is always stuff going on. Um, you know, that we've got a lot of paid work, a lot of unpaid work. We have several universities around here as well that have film departments. So those students need like their equivalent of a senior thesis as well mm -hmm. um, to get those productions made. And I've actually done a few of those as well um, when I was first getting started, but they were, they were also a lot of fun. And yeah, so, I mean, there's everything. There's web series that people are doing. There's, like I said, the trailer that I'm a part of that was filmed here in Dallas and the director and writers are both located here in Dallas as well. Um, so I, I would say yes, but if you're starting out, you may not really think that because you're not quite sure what direction to go in. It took me a while once I started getting involved to, to be steered in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any um, uh, sort of ambitions to 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 be like, you know, Hollywood or anything like that? I would love to be in Hollywood, not necessarily <laughs> not necessarily be like a home base camp kind of thing there. But I would love to be in a big studio production. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, I can see that the uh, the geek seat is awaiting. It's It, it hungers. But before we get you in there, um, if people are listening to this and they want to like see something that you've done, do you recommend, is there a link or something that they could go and check out if there's something that you've done that you want people to check out? 
Um, so you could actually go to my website and all of my good clips are on there. Other than that, um, everything is in the film circuit right now. Since right. COVID shut everything down for a whole year, all of that work got put on hold. So none of it has actually been released yet to where, you know, you can share it with everybody. But um, I do have clips and fun things on my website at uh, ashleylawson.com. So excellent. you can definitely head there. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And we're getting you just on the brink before she really hits it big with all this stuff coming out, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she is, she is ready. So we could say we knew her when. So it's Yeah, okay. exactly, exactly. <laughs> we were interviewing her now, like, in about a year. She'll just be too big for us. So. She'll be, like, looking at, oh, those guys? <laughs> Get me at least a podcast that has 100,000 downloads an episode. It's okay. <laughs> and then also I only want brown M&Ms. Yeah, we'll I don't want any her, other colors. Her army of agents. Exactly. Her publicists, her agents, you know. Exactly. Her people will call our people, and they maybe they'll do lunch or her, something her, like her that. Her, her, posse, her crew. Exactly. It'll be good. So, Ashley, are you ready for your first question in the geek seat? I am. All right, Ashley. What was your favorite geek out moment? My favorite geek out moment was, um, so I am actually a licensed middle and high school English teacher, and I was very inspired by Hilary Swank's performance of Aaron Gruwell in Freedom Riders, and um, that actually made me want to teach in inner city, which I did my first year of teaching. I went back and taught in inner city Memphis, but I was so blessed and had a huge geek out moment because my university was fortunate enough. My last semester I was in college, she, Aaron Gruwell herself, came um as a, as a guest speaker and she stayed afterwards. It was so late. I want to say I waited in line till like one o'clock in the morning just oh, wow. to get her autograph. But wow. I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That is really cool. It was That's even a- better for me. Cause you know, sometimes they tell you don't meet your heroes because they're not ever who you think they're going to be. But she was exactly what I expected her to be. She was so down to earth. And she was perfectly fine answering a few questions. And um, she was very much exactly what I thought her to be in my head. So that was a pleasant experience as well. That is awesome. That is really awesome. Man, that's really a cool thing. I don't think we've ever had, like, someone geek out over a teacher. That's really awesome. (laughs) More people should geek out over Absolutely. Absolutely. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Um, my most disappointing geek out moment, um, I, they used, there's a little park in downtown Memphis and I can't think of the name of it, but in the summertime they used to do little concerts, but some big name people would come do it. And, um, one of the artists, she's, she's not very common. Um, I don't even know if she's still making music, but at the time I was obsessed with her and her name is Julie. Roberts. Um, and she had this thing like where if you bought her new album, you could do a meet and greet with her. And so I bought the album and then went and did the meet and greet. But I was very disappointed because it was literally just go up there, take your picture, and then you move along. Ooh, and so I was uh, like, ah. You were hoping for more. Yes. Yes. And I don't, for- I don't think it was her fault either. Like I'm not even blaming her. I think that's just what it was set up to be in the first place blame the publicist that's what we always do that's what we always do it's always better that way what geeks you out the most 
Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Disney and believe it or not, true crime. Hugely really? obsessed with true crime. That's an interesting yes. mix. <laughs> well, you know, you have to you have to balance it out. You have to get scared and then you have to watch a Disney movie afterwards. Are you watching only murders in the building? On Hulu? I, I started watching it, yes, but honestly I've had a hard time getting into it. Keep on watching. It gets better okay. with every episode. Okay. It is awesome. Um, tomorrow night actually is the season finale. So. Oh, perfect. That means I can binge watch it. Oh, of yeah. course. My favorite That's an even better way. It's better. <laughs> See, that geeks you out the most right there. See? We found yeah. That is awesome. What turns your geek off, though? Um, What turns my geek off is, like, when you're having a pleasant conversation with somebody and they bring up a touchy subject, like how you feel about whether or not to get vaccinated for COVID and politics and religion and all of that stuff. And I'm just like, I just want to have a fun conversation. Like, let's have this conversation about true crime and not venture off from that. Okay. We'll scratch the next four questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Ooh, that's a hard one. I have so many. Um, I honestly, I would have to say I would probably love to meet Joe March from Little Women. Really? And yes, and her real life self, her and Belle both from Beauty and the Beast. Um, I just, I have a lot in common with them. I like to read a lot just like they do like to write. So I just, I think we could all just geek out together. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. What famous character would you not like to meet, though? Ooh. Um, probably. That's a hard one. There's so many bad guys out there. It doesn't even have to be a bad guy. It could be a bad girl. It could be a bad monster. It could be a bad That's situation. True. Yeah. Um, I think... I, okay, do y'all watch Sons of Anarchy? Have you ever seen it? Yes. Know what it is? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think the person I would least like to meet would be Katie Siegel's character in that, Gemma, because I oh, think she's just sh- always wanting to get in a fight with somebody, and I'm not trying to bring all that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> loved her in it, absolutely. She was that person you love to hate all the time, but I personally would not want to cross paths with her. No, don't get on her bad side either. Oh, no, 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 no. And Kitty Seagal is just so awesome anyway yeah. as an actress in anything she does. Yes, yes. And so it's pretty – it's awesome about that. Well, cool. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Um, she looks... I think my favorite geek pose would be at Charlie's Angels when you get three oh, girls together like and that. you want to take a picture. Because I – I have um, twin female cousins that are just nine months older than me. So we basically grew up like sisters. And I cannot tell you how many pictures we have like that. Because, you know, you all have to take turns being the center one. Has to balance out somewhere. Yeah. Of course. Of course. That totally makes sense. That's a good one. That's a good one. We've had some, we have very few people take us up on the pose part of that. And that's a really excellent, that's an iconic pose. Well, he said that and I was like, oh, that, that just got so much easier to answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. What geek occupation would you like to do the most? Um, 
I think I would like to uh, be those people that do things with computers, be like the smart person in the group. Because not that I'm not smart, but I'm book smart. I'm not very technology smart. So I think um, to be able to do that or even play it on TV would be really fun because it would be like, I want to be one of those people, but I just don't think it's on the cards for me. <laughs> you know, if you get to play one of those people on TV, then you'll have the reputation of everyone asking you, how do you fix this? How do you do that? Can you help me with my router? Can you help me get my Wi-Fi working? No, I know I know zero things. Okay. <laughs> every, every show. I know has how to a, click a Zoom link. Every show has that tech person. So Yes. What geek occupation would you not like to do? Um, I don't think I would like to be the, the, they always have a director person that gets to pick what kind of assignments they go on and stuff like that. And I don't think I'd want to be that person because I have empathy for everybody and I would have the hardest time in the world trying to decide which ones are more important than another one. No, totally makes sense. That totally, that's a good answer, actually. Mm -hmm. That is really... <laughs> Hasn't come up before. No, that's good. This is good. She's giving us There's all original of stuff. There's a lot here for you guys tonight. Absolutely. This will go into the Hall of Fame, I'm sure of it. You know, <laughs> On top of when we say we knew her when, this will also go into our Hall of Fame. So this will be perfect. Excellent. All right, Ashley, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Okay. I think so. Okay, Zen moment first. Come on. Zen, mm -hmm. calm, cool, collective. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? My ultimate geek fantasy would be to um, go to – I, I want to say it's called MurderCon, but I don't think – I feel like that's not right where they have like – all the true crime podcasters and stuff like that come um, just because it would be fun to just live in that world for a little bit. Or even if you, you know, got really juvenile with it and whatever that uh, con is that they go to in Minions where they meet uh, Scarlet Overkill, I think <laughs> that would be super fun too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, Ashley, I've got some great news for you. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $68.04. We've gone up. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's that time of year. So uh, it has been amazing having you join us. Uh, good luck with everything. Again, uh, where can people go online to find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's ashleylawson.com, and my Ashley is A-S-H-L-I-E. Mm -hmm. So ashleylawson.com. You can find me on Facebook on Ash under Ashley Lawson, and on Instagram, I'm Ashley Lawson Actress. Awesome, awesome. Well, we will have links to those in our show notes so people can check you out. So like I said, good luck awesome. to you, and thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. absolutely. And we didn't scare her away. This is pretty darn no, awesome. No. <laughs> awesome. Her, and her, her and her little dog, too. Exactly. It's really yeah. cute. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back, and we're going to be looking at the 45th anniversary of Interview with a Vampire. La, 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 la
Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's box office buzz, and I am super pumped because Dune is finally here. I've been looking forward to this movie since I first heard about it, and then this movie was delayed because of COVID, but hopefully... Now we're actually going to get to see it. I've got my tickets and some of the early buzz in reviews has been really amazing. Talking about it being epic, a great sci-fi story, incredible visuals. Basically what I was expecting to see because I've been a fan of the director and his Blade Runner 2049 is just a masterpiece of a sci-fi movie. So it's not really a surprise that Dune is getting good reviews. I'm really hopeful, kind of nervous to see how it does at the box office. This movie really needs to do well if we're going to get more parts of the story and just with COVID and how other movies have been performing, even the Marvel movies I think have seen a little bit less intake at the box office than they would in a normal time. So I really hope that people get out to see this if they feel safe and comfortable to do so because I really want to see more big budget sci-fi storytelling like this and also I hope that it's a new entry point into the story for fans I know that I read the book Dune years ago it didn't necessarily stand out to me at the that time but you know sometimes you encounter a story and it's just not really the right time in your life for that story you don't really connect with it but then if you come back to it later you're like oh okay I see more what this is about and why people like this so much so I have not reread the book before seeing the movie mostly because I want to be surprised and yes I have a terrible memory so I am going into this without a lot of memory of what happened in the book, so I'll be surprised, which is a skill that can be both a blessing and a curse. But yeah, so I hope that it will bring in new fans, that longtime fans of the book will be pleased, and that it's just generally a great night at the movies. And that's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to go check out my blogs over on the ESO podcast website. I've recently written about the new James Bond movie and also the Halloween Lego Star Wars special. Hey, Joe. Hey, Tony. Do you like ads about podcasts? You know it. How about ads about Doctor Who podcasts? Even better. Well, you're in luck because this is an ad about a Doctor Who podcast. Wow. I love it. And you'll love us. The Watchathon of Rassilon, a podcast about Doctor Who. I'll buy 12 Actually, it's free. I'll buy 13 then. I am a vampire, I am a vampire, I am a vampire, I am a vampire, I am a vampire empire, I am a vampire, I have lost my fangs. I am a vampire, I am a vampire, I am a vampire, I have lost my fangs. So I'm sad and I feel lonely, so I cry and I'm very angry, and I hate some girl. Hi everybody and welcome to the 45th anniversary panel of the Interview with the Vampire. And it's pretty amazing that this book has been out for that long and is still very relevant today. And it's pretty darn awesome. Uh, my name is Mike Faber. I'm the host of the Earth Station One podcast and we're recording this segment as part of Earth Station One, so you'll be able to hear us 
on the podcast. And so the way we do things is we get you guys involved. We'll, you know, please feel free to ask questions or if we start bringing up topics or discussions, jump in. We want you guys to be part of it also. It's a little more interactive. To my left and your right is Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. How are you, sir? I am fine. How is everybody in this uh, Monsterama SpyCon morning? Who hasn't had coffee yet? <laughs> right, you need a cardboard sign. Yeah, exactly. Everywhere. Come on, goose, goose. No. So, but awesome to see everybody here today, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. This, gosh, I first read this book. I'm thinking it has to be. I read it probably first or second year of college, so that was eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah, it came out in 85, right? So, uh... No, older than that. Oh. The 70s. What? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I bought it when I was like 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say, this this book, if it's the 45th anniversary, uh, yeah, it, it would came be, out in 76. That's true. That's was, true. Was the year it came out. It just took a little while, but it, I don't think... I guess it was... It's early for you, Mike. It is. Okay. Yeah, it is. Um... <laughs> But I guess it became, got on everybody's radar in the 80s, especially because uh, Sting sang that song about it in, the, in 84. Like it was on Dream of the Blue Turtles. And he had that uh, song on there, which sort of bumped up the recognition. And it was everywhere. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know uh, if she originally wanted to uh, write a sequel and, and write a whole, like, 13 other or 12 more books. 12 more but, books. Um, 12 more books. First of all, uh, before we get too into it, like how many people have read Interview with the Vampire? Okay. So about half of you. Have you? Um, who has seen the movie? Who's seen the movie? Okay, cool. So, you know, mostly. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit about that too. But yeah, so there, and if you're listening at home, there, there will be spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we will go into uh, in depth about it. But. Um, yeah, this uh, this was a book that once I read it uh, in in that time period, eighty five, eighty six, somewhere in there, it it really changed. Like it really opened my eyes and changed everything. It had a big effect on me. Oh, very much so because before that, my versions of vampires was you know from the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, or you know the Bram Stoker, you know Dracula. Or and then also, of course, you know, the Hammer films like Christopher Lee and stuff like that. So I had never thought of vampires with feelings and thoughts and everything. There was just the bloodthirsty monsters who were just there to suck your blood, you know. Plus, that by that time, time, they were kind of a joke yeah. um, because, you know, the Frank Lagella. Uh, edition of Dracula came out to big success, and then shortly after that, there was a parody. Uh, Love first fight. Yeah, and then there was like growing up, I do remember seeing Dracula like everywhere, but it was always like Monster Mash. It was always like these like joke versions of of a vampire. So it wasn't until uh, I personally, in my experience, because uh, I know that there were other things going on. But it wasn't until I read the interview with the vampire, and I was like, wow, this is like some really serious stuff to think about as far as what what these beings go through. 
Um, and I don't know that too many people had done that to that extent at that point. Because even Dracula and most of the other vampire stories, you, you, you are the victim's point of view, right? You're just, um, you know, you, you're doing your thing, vampire comes along and uh, attacks you, and, or you're a vampire hunter. But there wasn't anything that I was familiar with. From the vampire's point of view. From the vampire's point of view. That's, that really went in and thought about, like as you said, like what it really means to be immortal, what it really means to go through that, and what, especially if you don't want it. Like, if you don't want that gift. Saberhagen did that. Yeah. Dracula Tape. Which, so did, um, which is an amazing book. I love it. So did Martin. That's George true. George Romero's Martin. Yeah, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not to the depth that Anne Rice went into, though. No. And, you know, and dare I say, she kind of humanized the vampires in some ways. Some ways. And ironed out and copied so many times after, you know. And we'll talk to that way later into this panel if we have time. But it'll be, it's interesting because, like Mike was saying, a lot of the vampire stories, by this point, vampires were becoming a joke. They were, you know, they, it wasn't, you know, it was just another monster of the week. You saw, you know, in Kolchak the Night Stalker, you had... Um, you also had, you know, in Looney Tunes, you had vampires and stuff. <laughs> and so, and it's just, you know, and you had... Sesame Street. Oh, the cow, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's true. Yeah, when you're growing up and you're like, the vampire is part of your life, or something you know, like it's part of the reason why you can, you know, do math and, and, and add and stuff. It's like... Oh, yeah, I guess uh, vampires are okay. Yeah, well, you know, every time somebody counts, I go, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> so, you know, but it's like, it's awesome that you, you know, to this day, a lot of vampire lore and such is now brought back to the forefront because of Anne Rice. And it's interesting to see that because Interview with a Vampire came out of nowhere. No one had her. You, you, Anne Rice had written a few books by this point, but this was her first real big one. And it was interesting to see because the book is completely from Louis's point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's, yeah, well, it's literally an interview. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, Lestat is, you know, portrayed as a real... Mo- as a monster. Mm-hmm. As and in the later books, he Lestat becomes the main focus, and he becomes the true hero of her series. The protagonist, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, he's a hero. Um, I'm kind of curious. So you read this early, right? It's before all the hype. Did you? Was it just part? Did you hear something about it? Did you just sort of pick it up on a whim, or? It was on a whim. I was. A little bookstore. I was waiting, getting my eyeglasses prescription filled. Uh-huh. A little bookstore. I got same day. I picked up Frankenstein, Dracula, and there's like, oh, there's this new vampire book, Interview with a Vampire, and it had the white. It was the white cover mm-hmm. with the two guys and Claudia. Oh yeah, on the cover. You still got that? I still have it. Nice. <laughs> and it just uh, that cover and like, oh, it's a vampire book, and the cover just grabbed my attention. What, what did you think when you read it? 
Uh, first time through, it was a bit of a slog in the up to where Lewis okay. was. I was going, this is weird. So, you know, I was like back getting all the subtext when Lassat was turning Lewis. But then later, you know, like a year or two later, I came back to it and read through it. And then once I got past when Lewis becomes a vampire, the book to me really takes off. Right. Right. And Claudia, you know, when they turn Claudia, she's very, you know, engaging or interesting character. Yeah. We'll talk about Claudia. Oh, <laughs> oh there's a lot to talk Claudia about. Claudia is like, yeah, Claudia is like, I mean, it's one thing for Anne Rice to like, you know, say I'm going to make a vampire story. I'm going to redefine what it means to be a vampire, you know, because she rewrote some of the rules, you know, the crucifix doesn't matter. Holy water doesn't matter, you know. Uh, crosses don't matter. Crosses don't matter, right? Um, uh, garlic doesn't matter. Uh, it upsets her tummy, but it's okay. But, you know, uh, but they still have to sleep in coffins, which I think is weird. I'm like, why is that essential? But I guess she needed them to... The, visually, it does strike an image so that they have to sleep in coffins. Um, but uh, but uh, anybody else who's read the book? Yeah, what was your first thoughts? Um... Or when so, did you read it? It wasn't in the 80s. Okay. It was 12 and 89, so I wasn't quite there yet. But it was in the early 90s. Um, and like you, I've always been a fan of Halloween and witches and universal monsters and hammer films. Just loved them. But that book, kind of what you said for me, changed it because it just became an obsession. Like, yeah. after that, it was the next book and the next book. And then when the movie came out, it kind of blew my mind to see those characters live. Uh-huh. But... You know, they always talk about vampires having this romantic lore. I don't really truly think that came into play for me until that book. Okay. Because it just created the whole time period. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't get enough. I still have those books. You know, I still keep them at home because they're some of the favorite books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Have you read all Have you read all no. After, <laughs> I think it was the fifth one, I yep. couldn't get through. You're in that club, too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, tapped, I tapped out after five. Yes, yeah. I just, I tried, and I was upset with myself, but it's kind of like movies. Sometimes movies go a little, there's too many sequels. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't get past and, and they diminish in the return, right? It's like the more that they come out, like the later ones, it's yeah. just like, yeah, not as good, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, you experienced that as well? Well, I'm, I did not read it until the mid-90s. Okay, that's okay. So I saw the movie first. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, cool. And then I went to the book, and I was one of those people that this was not when vampires were cool, so I kind of was uh-huh. a little that's okay. reading it by myself, and I struggled because I went with, I understood the movie, and then I was like, this is very different than the movie, and then I, I found it to be much more enjoyable, and yeah, so it was a different experience. I, I had to get used to the fact that Claudia was a lot younger oh, yeah. than what they did in the movie as well. And I didn't see him lie in the movie they had to do it. I, yeah. I get that, but I am... Um, it's still creepy. It still is. And then all the sequence of events are very different. And then... Yeah. Yeah, so... But yeah. Yeah, I reread the book uh, this past week, just to refresh my memory, and I also watched the movie. Uh, oh, you did watch I, the movie. I did rewatch it last night. And... Uh, so yeah, everything's fresh for me. Uh, and so, um, and uh, I, I a couple points that you guys made. One is the romantic element. Um, Anne Rice really 
Mike romanticized it. Triples down on it. Yeah, like, sorry, like, I mean, not only is uh, the, the 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 I mean, it's just sort of this metaphor for all kinds of romantic relationships and uh, the different kinds of relationships that people have with each other and that vampires have with each other, which I thought was really telling as well, especially if you're reading it as a teenager. It's like it really is the perfect time. And I think, you know, for better or for worse, I think you can definitely make a through line to from Interview with a Vampire to the Twilight books. Oh, oh, well, yeah. oh yeah. you, you so, can also keep on doing vampire diaries and all, well, yeah. you know, all the way through. Which is funny. I read the vampire diaries when they were books. Right. When I was a teenager. And then when that series came out, I remember my husband watching it and what are you watching? <laughs> and I watched a couple episodes and I was like, that's crap. <laughs> 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 but I agree. It's, it, I, think, I think you said it earlier. She changed yeah. the whole lore. Yeah. It is very different now. Yeah, but it's interesting that it didn't catch on right away. Like, I mean, she wrote this book, and it just laid there for a while. It was out there, and I think it had some sort of recognition from poor with people, but like I said, I don't think it really became a huge bestseller until, like, I don't know, was it Sting? No, it was before Sting. Gotcha. Because that's how Sting became aware of it. That's but, probably true, right? Yeah, because it was right. on the best. Because I mean, she didn't. I mean, there's a almost ten, an almost a decade between that and, and Vampire on the Staff. Um, she likes to take about a decade between, like she she like taps out for a decade and then she comes back to something. Yes and no, because that would make her then 120. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it was interesting because. <laughs> She, like we've been saying, her lore she created, you know, thank God she didn't do the shiny vampires. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's, but her vampires in some ways were very sympathetic, very, you know, very, you actually started caring for them. Maybe not in this book, but you started actually caring for these book characters later. And I made it all the way through, I think the last one I read was Tales of the Body Thief. Yeah, it was the last one I made it through. Um, because it, it, she had kind of finished Lestat's story at Queen of the Damned, and but there, there's nothing else for him to do. So the next book was Tale of Life, which was like a prequel book, I think. And then, I don't know, like I said, I was... But she did a lot more with the later ones. Yeah, sure. I mean, because I enjoyed, what is it... The eighth one is okay. when they finally brought Claudia back as a ghost. So oh, wow. Louis had closure <laughs> with her death because that was his guilt throughout the entire series was yeah. was her. Yeah. So they, they she I, I enjoyed that because they had to bring in the maker, which is from her witching hour books to do that. Right. So it, it does it, there are better ones. And then it goes back down. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it does go back up after Memnon. Yes, well, I struggled with Memnon. It's, it's interesting because the very first time I read Interview with the Vampire, I kept on going, my God, Louis is so whiny. He is just like a huge whiner. And, you know, it's like I just read this book and I was just like, man, I didn't like the kid. I did not like Louis the first time I read it. I, but learn to appreciate him and everything because I read the later books and you know such and it was interesting I don't when I read the books or I listen to audios or whatever of the different ones I don't think Brad Pitt 
as Louie. I don't see him. I didn't, you know. Yeah, even watching that last night. I mean, Brad does a great job. I'm not going to lie. Like, everybody in the movie actually pretty does, does a pretty good job. But I do think that they don't match what I what I had in my head. No, but it, but it was neat because Louie's journey in this book, from his initial transformation to vividly exploring New Orleans in the late 1700s was just amazing. You know, hearing the details she went, the research Anne Rice took to write these. Well, you can tell she loves New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans is a character in the book. Oh, uh, very much so. Uh, so is Paris. Yeah, yeah. On the second half. Yeah, sure, sure. They um, still run tours to this day in, in that area. Mm-hmm. You can do the Anne Rice tours where they oh, wow. take you through all the book scenes. Oh, yeah. And they'll show you where she's so, 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 okay, yeah, so she, she like, so there's actual things that, like, real places. Street that, signs, yes, and she did it accurate for that time where mm-hmm. things now, certain streets might not be there anymore, might be yes. built up. So we'll take you to the places where all of that. So yeah, she she did a lot of research on the city before she, she lived at Dubois too, though, right? Oh yeah. yeah. She did. She sold her house though about a decade ago. Yeah, I was going to say because she sold it on the tour. They still point out which was her house. That America. which one was her house? Yeah. And it's really cool because you know I've done the tour and and it, after reading the book recently, hearing you know because there was the French Quarter which was around back then mm-hmm. in the late 1700s and then how they built the, when the, America took up, the Americans took over and the British they started building a lot of Spanish style and you know when you then that's where you get you know the garden district and everything and a lot of you know, the descriptions she does a lot of the tour goes to the garden district and everything also which is really awesome to hear so it's neat to see and then when she, they made it to Paris, the description of the city, so romantic, so dark, so beautiful. Paris at night, and then the whole, when they got into the theater, and, you know, the whole adventures they had there, and tales, meeting Armand, and these, you know, the actors, and it was just amazing. And the humans coming to the theater, watching, you know, the you know somebody being killed basically up there by vampires and they think it's all a play and everything and it's like so it just it just was just mesmerizing how how avant garde yeah that's what she says in the movie it's so glad it's so funny because um, I think you know I think uh, he's uh, Louis is like horrified and but he yet thinks it's brilliant at the same time and she's just like oh, how avant garde. She just dismisses it. Claudia is so cool. Um, but before we talk about Claudia, though, we, you know, we have to talk, yes, Louis. And, yeah, he, that. and you pointed out that, you know, because even before we, we did this, I know at one of our, our discussions, you were like, Louis is such a wuss. And, <laughs> and, and it's true, he is, but that's the point. Like, you can't write interview with the vampire without having a reluctant... Sure. Well, yeah, reluctant soul, reluctant victim, right? And and the, her flowery language perfectly suits him. Like if this was in like the later book, which Lestat is uh, doing the, the the from his point of view, like he, it's not that it can't be that flowery because that's not his style, right? I mean, Louis is he pays attention to all that kind of thing, and he is sort of that that voice 
that you kind of need because if this if you start with Lestat, I think you get a very different idea of what a vampire is. Whereas with Louis, you kind of understand that yes, there's it's cool, but it's and there's some really good things about it. And it's a very powerful thing to do, but it's also like inherently evil compared to like you know in his frame of mind. Right. And I like that struggle that he goes through. Now, does he go through it a little bit monotonously? Like, like by the second half, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We get but it. the fact that he sort of turns dead to it, you know, certainly uh, in the last act, he's just kind of not that way. I mean, he's just sort of numb. I think speaks a lot to it too, and I think it also says something about because I really noticed it this time, both in the movie and when I was reading it. But I think this is this is Anne Rice knowingly writing a vampire for our time. Like she makes it a point to to say like some of the older vampires are attracted to Louis because he's their doorway into what it's like now. Because when you live immortally and you live like over the over span of decades and centuries, like you kind of lose touch with right. what's going on. So you kind of need new blood and, exactly. and a need to know what that attitude is of the spirit of the age, so to speak. And as tor- as tormented as Louis is, I think uh, Armand says like you are the spirit of this age. It's like you are like. You know, you're not a freak. As a matter of fact, you're like, you speak for your, you know, your generation. And I don't know if that's Anne Rice making a comment on this, that, that generation, but it seems to be the case. It's interesting because, you know, at this point, the oldest vampire we meet is Harmont. Yep. And you don't, he's like over 400 years old at this point. And it was just real interesting to see like Mike had said he you know he that's what part of his fascination with Louis was his youth and his I think it was his only fascination really because he didn't seem to care about anything else I think he just because he openly admitted to him he was like you're my doorway in like because if you don't have a doorway in he's like you go mad like vampires don't die because they're on, set on fire, or they they go into the sun, they die because they're bored and they can't they can't they go mad because they can't handle the changes that are happening in the world. Exactly, that's the world evolves around them. Yeah, and you kind of see that with Lestat a little bit, I think, in the book. Uh, though Lestat has a lot of issues. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's interesting because Louis is the observer. He's you know basically the poet almost in some ways where the stat is the hedonist yeah and you know and that even carries it over into the other books but from the stat's point of view and that's what because you know Louis makes him out to be this monster this horrible horrible creature in this book and basically then you know you realize you know that's Louis' point of view. Now let's hear from the other side. Well, yeah. no, he is a monster. I mean, he is. He does some really despicable things. Um, and Louis's not wrong. It's just that Louis is a monster too. So he should be like. He should be more like. That's what Lestat's point of view is. But Lestat's like, hey, I'm a monster, but you're a monster too. Let's all be monsters together and be cool about it. Um, but Louis's the one who's got this chip on his shoulder because he's hanging on to his humanity. Yeah, but he's a monster. But he still cares about Lestat. Still cares about his father. True. 
and you know it's a very complicated it, thing it was you know this is his hold on to his humanity this is his father yeah you know the father is completely written out of the movie by the way so if you haven't seen it if, you see, if you're only familiar with the movie yeah there's a Seth's father is in, the, is in the book and it was just it was just very interesting because when it was time for his you know when his father was dying Lestat couldn't kill him you know to put him out of his misery he was begging Louis to do it for him yeah, but he also had issues with his father that he, he didn't just, really... He, he just had issues. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so, but, I don't know, how does everybody else feel about the character of Louis? Like, is uh, is it something that compels you? Is it... Did you wish there would be more adventures with him later on? Or when... Or, there are more adventures with him in it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's that... Does he ever, like... And you would know more, I think. Does he ever, like, take center stage again? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, like once you get to Merrick and Blackwood Farm and Blood Candles, they bring in Armand and a lot of the older vampires back, and then they bring in. She really crosses over a lot with the Mayfair witches. Uh-huh. And then Louis finds love again with one of the witches and turns her, and then all of that. So uh-huh. he becomes, and he helps Lestat. He starts to go crazy to the point because he again. After what Queen of the Dance when he has a cautious blood and Lestat gets too powerful and all of that. And of course after the fifth book with Men Knock and meeting the devil, the Lestat starts to go crazy. So they bring Louis back to kind of ground him again. Gotcha. gotcha. So I, I always enjoyed Louis the most. I struggled with Lestat. I found him very pompous. And yeah. I, I struggled with him. I, I, I like the human element because to your point, this was the first time I really saw a vampire as a human. And I don't. I didn't care how much he whined. I enjoyed that about him. I, I liked it. I romanticized it. And I really, uh, I enjoyed Louis the most out of all of her characters in the series. Even though Lestat does become the main protagonist, yeah. Louis is, I think, her best character developed wise. Oh, very, well, very much so. I mean, if you start with the first book, he's your eyes in, right? Yeah. So he's the guy that you're probably going to have the most sympathy and most connection with. Um, so it always did strike me as odd in the later books that I read. That he's just barely there, you know, after the first book, and and of course with Lestat, kind of the vampire Lestat book, kind of flipping the script, and you see some of the uh, things that are going on from his point of view. It's really interesting, but it also kind of, you know, puts Louis in a in a box. I think. Oh, very much so. But it also broadens the world completely. Yes, absolutely. And which is that was the point. Yes. So, what about the rest of you guys? You know what that's on Louis? I remember him with the opposite of her. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's he talk about Lestat. so much. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about Lestat. What, what, what's cool about Lestat? Well, the, it's funny. She sees the pompous. I, I see it. I do, but I like that. I yeah. like the largeness and the kind of the arrogance of his character. He's bigger than life. Yeah, yeah. when I think of vampires, you know, at least when I was a kid, you kind of you think that that's how you would be, right? Because you're a vampire, you have this power, you, you live forever, that you would have a sort of arrogance about it and put yourself above others. So that intrigued me, but I did read it when I was a teenager as well, so. No, but I mean, it's also, yeah, I like the dynamic because, I mean, Lestat is, especially now when I when I've attempted about my own <laughs> to write uh, stories featuring vampires, when you've got a great character like Dracula, right? 
it's hard to come up with a guy that's like, okay, I want somebody that's like that, but not, it can't be him, right? So you have to come up with some other cool vampire, a badass vampire. And I think Anne Rice really hit, you know, she, she knocked it out of the park with the stat. Like, he's, he's maybe not on Dracula's level, but he gets there. And then some, as the books go. But he's, he's, your, he's your main bad guy. And, uh, and he loves being that guy. Well, to an extent, yeah. Um, so I, I can understand that. The thing is, I don't consider, in this book, I consider the stat the bad guy. Because it's from Louis's point of view, but, sure. but after that, he's not the bad guy anymore, you know. And it's it's just like you like you said, the script was flipped after this book, and but it was a great intro into the world. And if she would have just done this book by itself, I would have been fine with that. And it would have been that's a great vampire story, and it did reinvent the vampire genre, like we've kept on saying throughout this panel already. And that's what's cool about it, is this modernizes vampires. This makes vampires more real in a lot of ways, you know, that they could be living around us. You know, if you're out at night, the person who brushes against you, that could be a vampire, you know? So, it's just, and that's what made it pretty fascinating to me. I, uh... So I, like I said, I just reread um, Interview with a Vampire, and I have no real plans to go down the rabbit hole of reading the twelve other books. But oh my, I am really thinking like, man, I really should read Lestat though, because it is a, it is like just to see it from that other point of view. Um, the same events, you know, um, is it, kind of interesting. So I might do that at some point, but. Um, but it is interesting to the point of uh, the the dynamic between the two of them uh, throughout the book, and uh, and then even it's 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 cool to know that that continues. Uh, that even after Lestat becomes like a god or whatever, um, that he still is grounded in Louise. There, I, I, I that is that does interest me a little bit. Um, so we talked about Lestat, we talked about Louis. Uh, Claudia, I think, is probably one of the most brilliant things Anne Rice brought to this book. I mean, it's one thing to tell the story of a couple of vampires. Um, Which but, has been done tons and tons of times. Yeah, but to introduce a character like Claudia, who's this uh, poor girl who... Who's five years old. Five years old, and yet she, in her mind and in her soul, she wrote that to be a woman... But in a kid's trapped in a, in a child's body, it's just, I think it's just, like, I, I don't, I've never seen anything like that before. And I don't know if I've seen it much since. I mean, it's just, it, it's an amazing concept. Uh, that I don't know if that had ever been done with vampires before. Uh, not, not to that extent. They've done it since quite a bit and everything. And we'll get it into, if we have time, we'll get into some of those stories. But... It's interesting to see, like with Claudia, you know, the innocence at the very beginning, you know, how she completely, so being so young, she completely took to being a vampire. And she didn't know anything else. She didn't know anything else, but as time grew on, as she was maturing, her body wasn't growing. And she was still the body of a five-year-old. And you found out, you know, Whatever your body looks like, whatever your hair looks like at the time you turn, that's how you stay. 
and everything, even if you cut it during the day or something, or, you know, cut it when you go out. In the movie, like, in five minutes. <laughs> well, it's all permed and curled and everything. <laughs> exactly, and it's, it's just, it's amazing. Because that's one of the other fascinating things that when you get turned to a vampire, you become the perfect version of yourself, you know, your body. You know, you know, the beauty comes out and everything. Like even when, like they were, they went into a lot of detail when Claudia turned. You know how her curls came out. She, her hair became blonde and beautiful, and you know the whole thing. And it was just, it was fascinating to read that whole process. And then, and you know, as she's getting older, because you know, by the time they go to France, she's a seventy-year-old, you know, woman. And still in the five-year-old's body, and you know, and she resented. You know, it's interesting how she always truly, you know, she hated Lestat for it. You know, for turning her and everything. She hated them both. Yeah, well, she hated them both. You know, for doing it to him. But it was interesting how she kept Louis there at her beck and call too. And it was just, it was just interesting to you know the dynamic with that. So it was, it was thoughts on thoughts on Claudia. I think, first of all, I think maybe if she if Anne Rice knew that it was going to continue the series as long as it did, she would I, don't, I don't know if she would have killed her in that in the first book um, because she's such a great character. But but her death is monumental, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, and especially to the third act and the what happens with Louis. Um, but. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts on on Claudia? I, I the anger, like I got it. I think yeah. part of me was even pissed for her. Yeah, it was very she, much she so. Was cursed. You know what they did to her. Um, they just, and then in the movie, I think Kristen Dunst did a really good job of showing that anger and that bitterness, and just it seems almost twist her because she was stuck. You know, so I, I thought that was an interesting character and a horrible. Idea, right? To, you know, I hadn't seen anything, I'd never heard anything like that in a book or anything before. To think what would happen if you turned a child, mm -hmm. like it must be horrible. Well, it's interesting because, like, one of the first meetings between Louis and Armand, they were he was talking. It's like, why did you turn this child? Why, you know, we do not do that. You know, you have to. You want the if you when you turn somebody, you want them to have lived life, experienced it, because. What was it? Um, Armand had that little um, boy servant who yeah. were with him, and it was just you know he was like, I'm not going to take this person. He's too young. He's too weak. He can't do anything on his own. If I want to turn somebody to a vampire, I want them to be able to be off on their own, not be dependent on me. You know, type thing. Well, and that was the whole thing with Claudia. And that, was, uh, that was in Armand's history. I mean, he said his master turned him. He waited. Uh, until he was a certain age to turn him, right? Because that was, you know, the thing to do, I guess. Or so I mean, obviously he followed in those footsteps. Whereas Lestat's like, I don't care about rules. <laughs> like, like Lestat knew it was wrong. Like Louis didn't know any better, but Lestat knew it was wrong, and yet he was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it was the trap, Louis, to stay with it. 
Yes. Oh well, yeah, that was that was a large part of it too. But um, if you remember that they had a huge fight like before that, oh, and yeah. Louis was like, "I'm leaving you. You know, I don't need to be around you anymore." And he used Claudia to basically yeah. say, it's "Like now he's not going to go anywhere." Exactly. You're stuck with me. We're going to keep our little family. Um, God, that's an abusive relationship right yeah. there. <laughs> As we're all saying that loud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was just like, ding, you know, right there. Yeah. That's why the yeah, vampires are that perfect metaphor for abusive relationships, I think, uh, as a whole. And almost any vampire story almost seems to have that subtext. Um, I, I understand, like you said, why they aged her for the movie, but uh, I also think that uh, it works and that... Kristen Dunst probably is, as far as, like like I said, I have my, you know, problems with some of the other casting, not with her. She's, like, the perfect actress to play that part. When I when I reread the book, I hear her voice. Uh, that's not true of the other characters <laughs> for me. Like, you know, I don't, I don't hear Tom Cruise. I don't hear Brad Pitt. Uh, I don't hear... Christian uh, Slater. Christian Slater. <laughs> Uh, or Antonio, like I just like they're good in the movie, and I guess we can talk a little bit about the movie. Um, but um, oh, there's still so much to talk about. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but but, uh, Twenty minutes left. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the but you know, I, I think she's great in it, and uh, yeah, she is Claudia. I didn't care for Tom Cruise as you know the stat though as much. Louis, when the news broke, like everybody who was interested in the book, like cried. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were not, you know, because she had made it a point to say that when she wrote the book, uh, she pictured Sting, I think, in the role. And certainly Sting had done some acting. Right. Uh, so I think everybody was just under the assumption that, you know, Sting was going to be Lestat or somebody like Sting. It's always funny how Sting always gets thrown in with those type of characters. <laughs> he was also supposed to be John Constantine. Also. Yeah, that's true. That's well, true. Yeah. He's very inspirational. Yeah. So, and it's just, it's interesting because he was, you know, literally, I think he did have, you know, she did have him in mind for, and he had been rumored for years, but, you know, because yeah. the movie had originally started being planned I think in 85 yeah it was early yeah and so it took uh, almost a decade almost a decade to do it and then you know Sting passed and the directors passed and blah 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 you know typical Hollywood and but then they announced that Tom Cruise was going to be in it and this newcomer Brad Pitt you know so it was just it was going to be Louie and it was like oh if there was an internet back then it broke yeah. <laughs> like, and today, it would have been... Yeah, it was called I, message boards back then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't even imagine what it would have been like today. But um, but I got to say, going in, I was skeptical. But even last night after watching his performance, I'm like, Tom Cruise does everything that he needs to do to get to that character. I just... It's not the, it's not the guy that I picture. But I, I, I don't blame him. I don't know. Maybe that's different. Maybe you guys... He's still better than Stuart Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> and he needed perspective sometimes. Yes, yes. Okay. So I, 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 I think he's announced who's going to be him in the new show, too. I, I haven't even looked the guy up. Something I haven't. guy. I haven't even looked to see who's playing him in the new I haven't, show. I, have, no. I know that they're doing a new series interview with the vampire. Yeah, yeah AMC finally yeah, got it. Yeah, green There's so many different... 
And so I've heard that I haven't heard who they have for any of the cast yet. Yeah. I've been trying to keep an open a little bit distance because I don't want to get burnt again, <laughs> which we've done multiple times with, you know. But I have. Well, I, that scares me that that's what's. Well, yeah, because I love Vampire Diaries. I'm just thinking that we all people that are, are not even half my age in those. <laughs> Roles. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's not being done on the CW, so I think we have. Yeah. 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 What do we got? Walking Dead. Uh, so flashing uh, news break. Uh, Australian <laughs> actor Sam Reed, Sam uh, ID, has been tapped to star as Lista. Everybody's grabbing their phones. So. So, so they've got the, the person who did the HBO Perry Mason is the creator, writer, showrunner. Oh, well, Perry Mason so, was awesome. So that was a pretty good series. Yeah, I'll give that. And Anne Rice is one of the producers. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, she did. I, you know, I had forgotten until I rewatched the movie last night. She wrote the screenplay. I mean, she this, she adapted it herself. So any changes that you know people don't like in that movie, it's like no, she was right there. Um, and, and somebody named Jacob Anderson is going to play Louie. Huh. So they've got their Louis and they've got their Lestat. So is it is the new series? And, and uh, he is a multicultural Louis. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Oh wait, I saw this guy in something, yeah. and he was really good. Jacob Reed. So well, I don't remember what I saw. Oh, Jacob he, Anderson. But Jacob Anderson. He was in Game of Thrones. Okay. But I saw him in something else. He's really good. Gotcha. Well, let's hope, um, you know, because I do think there's enough, certainly after watching the movie and seeing all the shortcuts that Anne Rice and them took on a lot of things, I, I do think that the, there's enough to explore in series. I just, I wonder how it's going to be structured, you know, is it going to be, uh, you know, is the, the first book going to be oh. the first season? Um, is it going to, like, you know, uh, is the set, like, because after... If you're going to call it Interview with the Vampire, then, like, like how does that continue throughout the run of the series? <laughs> like, you know. Um, okay. Oh, Jacob Anderson, he was Grey Worm, but he's also going to be on Doctor Who this season, too. Oh. Yes. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a busy guy. Yes. So it's very interesting that, you know, I'm going to be very curious to see if they're just going to stick with the original book or are they going to go past it and just do it as a each season is it is then the first season going to be interview with a vampire second season vampire with stat you know to keep going with them yeah good um although or you just could keep you know like well, i said like i think in retrospect she might have kept claudia around for a little bit so maybe this is her opportunity to be like let's Let's keep Claudia around. Well, it's interesting because you, you, know, you, you hear from a child actor, it's like, um, she's going to get older as the years. They're still at high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they all talk like this now, but yeah, that's okay. But yeah, and that's like one of the things I heard in an interview with like uh, Kirkman, the guy who created uh, Walking Dead. He said, like, because in the comic books, Rick got his hand cut off, like in the first. 30 issues or something by the governor and he now says if I knew the series was going to go 250 issues I would not have cut his hand off <laughs> you know, so it's just like if I only knew so and I'm sure Anne Rice was the same way and 
you know, when you write a book, when you kill a character or something, you don't think of it as a sequel or anything. It's something you hope for. Or you might have a trilogy written out, what you'd like to see. But if a certain character, you go, oh, I'm going to kill this person all in the first, and then it, the character becomes one of the most fascinating characters in the storyline. You know, you kick yourself for that. And yeah, you, you, bring, you bring her back as a ghost. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but still, when you do that, you kill off a character or a character loses a limb or whatever, it, it affects the rest of the story. Yeah, and the right. story would not have been down here if you had not done this. Well, exactly. Louis' journey would have been completely yeah. different. Without Claudia's death. Especially if you don't obsessively outline. Right. You know, Stephen King does not outline. He just sits down and he writes. Right. And, <laughs> and um, I guess Martin does the same thing. I think Martin's hit a brick wall and doesn't want to admit it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and, you know, we've seen Anne Rice get to that point, too. I mean, like I said, she's tapped out of the series. Uh, I think she's had to come up with a, one of these books in probably about five, six years, I think. Maybe. I don't know when the most the recent one. Three years ago. Yeah, was it? it wasn't that long ago. Oh wow! It just feels like it. Well, she took a few, she took a long break because she went onto the other side and said, "I'm never going to write witches or vampires or anything." And then she did werewolves. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other characters besides uh, the main three? The main three that uh, resonate with you guys that are in the book. I mean, obviously, there's the whole theater uh, and Armand. Uh, uh, Armand is an interesting character. I think um, uh, it's nice to have that sort of um, vampire of authority. Well, he, uh, and he kept on saying, "I'm not in charge." Yeah, and, he was. Uh, oh, of course, he was the one everyone respected and. You know, it was like was because they wanted to kill him right off the bat. Yeah, and uh, he he had stopped that. And if he wanted to, he could have stopped them all. Yeah. In fact, he did allow them to be killed. I mean, that's that's a perfectly. Well, I mean, technically, he wasn't in charge. If you read the later books, the, the sixth one is Armand, which is his story, uh, and how the the theater became. And it really was supposed to be more of a democracy. He just kind of was one of the older ones, so he he really is not meant to be in charge. He's like it's whatever they want to do because I'm not in charge of them. Well, if you think about it, so. that makes because he perfect. doesn't yeah he doesn't that's want that responsibility. But it also makes yeah. perfect sense for the era of France that is because that's Napoleon, you know Napoleon in France, the French Revolution had already happened and it was the whole democracy, right? yeah. and so that totally made sense with you know how he was running the theater. And it was her way of, you know, basically, you know, bringing politics into it a little bit. And so it was, it was interesting to see. There was also a couple um, other things I really wanted to touch on real quick. I love how they depicted the Eastern European vampire. Mm. And yeah, that's something that's not in the movie, but it is a cool aspect of the book. In the book. And, you know, because that gets into the whole mindless creature vampire. And I love how... Armand, just how how he just they described it to Louis and and it was just this is you know the re, the creatures that you ran into were you know not fully formed or they you know they were you know they weren't 
properly created like we were. We're you know we're the proper vampires. She kind of opens the door for there to be other types of vampires. French arrogance. Yeah. Uh, well, of course. Like 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 what like what we see in yes, what we see in the shadows. Like there there's different types of vampires, and 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 there has been in in fiction all this time. And she kind of opens the door for that with uh, when, when they travel to Europe and they go through and they find these weird Neanderthal-like uh, vampires. And I think later on, I'm not sure some of the monstrous, uh, yeah. more like Nosferatu. Yeah, she doesn't. They're not as pretty, so I don't think she. <laughs> later on, right? You know, he wants to hear their love story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Mike just brought up what we do in the shadows, and which is a great, great show, sure. and based off of another movie, uh, which was, which plays on all different types of vampires, and you know, it's just it's fun to see them being made fun of and you do get a lot of nods and winks to the interview with the vampire. I would say the Anne Rice the Anne Rice vampire is represented in that show. In oh. that movie and the show. Oh very much so. So but so is the Twilight, so is the you know, Light Paradise, so is the Dracula's and you know Yeah. It's you know. a really brilliant concept. Uh, I haven't seen the series. I've watched the movie, and I keep meaning to go to the series. Oh, the series is brilliant, but uh, it's good nice. stuff. Well, didn't they say when, when at the end of the season one, when they were in the council, they're like, we couldn't get Brad Pitt. <laughs> or like they actually because they had they were trying to get all the variations of the vampires <laughs> mythology. They had Blade on, yeah. but they're like, oh, he's stuck in prison. Yeah, exactly. So the, yeah, and then um, Tilda Swanson's there. Because you remember, she's in Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah. So they called her that. You even had uh, Paul Rubens, who was a vampire in Buffy the Vampire. Yeah, so they were trying to do every mythology that they could get in that show. And I thought that was pretty funny. That is cool. That is really awesome. And, And yeah, it just shows you how... Much that Anne Rice did, you know, change the game. Like her, her vampires are still very much uh, a thing. And and yeah, the fact that they're going to do a series and maybe they're finally going to give us a uh, just a real deep, intense version of this story, I think, is going to be really cool to see. I hope it works out. Um, but uh, yeah, Armand is so is Armand's story like worth like checking out because he does seem like a pretty interesting character although he's, he's only kind of a standalone book that's kind of what's great after you get past book five each one is almost a standalone does it does it go over the events of this book too or does yeah, it yeah it's up to it mm-hmm. gotcha so you can do Ramon it's his entire backstory when he was with I think he met Akasha at some point as well yes uh, so everyone does I, yeah. yeah everybody needs her yeah so, <laughs> so. it is interesting yes um, would you say that uh, Interview with the Vampire was a big influence on True Blood? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Louisiana. Yeah. Sympathetic vampire. Yeah. Well, it, when I first started reading True Blood, and it was interesting because I thought, these are Louis' people. These are, you know. But it was interesting how in True Blood, right from the very beginning, vampires are out in the public. People know they exist. You know, with Interview with the Vampire, they're still in the shadows and everything. Prior to Anne Rice, the headquarters for vampires was Transylvania. Yes. Post Anne Rice, the headquarters for it is Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's just something about, especially the way she describes it, there's something about the streets of New Orleans and, 
everything about Louisiana that makes it sort of like right for that gothic storytelling. Oh, it makes you fall in love with the city. I mean, sure, they work in New York or... I mean, you can't imagine vampires in L.A., really, because it's just too bright up there, right? But, uh... Oh, the nightlight? The, oh, it fits perfectly. But I will say that, um... I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, a comic book series called American Vampire. It is really good, and there's some really cool uh, L.A. stories in that, too. So, And that you can definitely tell that that was inspired by Anne Rice. Oh, yeah, but then before Anne Rice, you also had stuff like I Am Legend, which is, you know... Quasi-vampire stuff. Vampire and zombie. Yeah. What's up? New Orleans is known as a pretty creepy place. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. A pretty haunted place, yes. I would say maybe 10, 15 years ago, my son was in one of the, the vampire role-playing game. Okay. I forgot the name of it. Masquerade. Masquerade. Which is also heavily influenced mm-hmm. by And vampires. they refused to open a chapter in New Orleans. Wow. Because their, their thought was... They take this crap seriously. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. No, we ain't doing that. <laughs> I did. That's the other thing I really noticed in this book, too. I was rereading because I'd forgotten how, uh, you know, I was like rereading it and I'm like going, oh, I don't, you know, how's this going to hold up, especially with the plantation and the slaves and everything? I love how Anne Rice gives that agency. We're like, they're the only ones that really take the vampires seriously. Um, and I, I really appreciated that. And I'm like, I hope they incorporate that more into the series. Well, that would be very interesting to see. But it's interesting because I loved how Louis described the plantations and the slaves. That you know, you, it's not like what you saw, you know, in, in movies like you know, Gone with the Wind and everything. These were true people from Africa. They were the they had their own cultures. They had their own languages. Most of them didn't even speak English, and that's why they recognized from their superstitions the vampires so quick yeah. and everything. And that was that's what, and they were always suspicious of Louis and Lestat, and it was just that was just what was awesome about it. And and even in the movie, I love how they're the ones that like they're the ones that are like we're going to burn this place down. Um, uh, in the series, in the book as well, but it's like it's their agency that causes that causes them to have to move to. Well, they just moved downtown. Really. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they became in town vampires. You know, so that is awesome, guys. Well, we are out of time. Thank you, guys, so so much. If you have any questions or if you want any feedback, please write us at feedback at nursestation1.com. We are a weekly podcast that comes out on as part of the ESO network, but you can find us at earthstation1.com or Apple, iTunes, um, Google, Spotify, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Thank you for everything, folks. We appreciate it. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. And if you're a David Bowie fan, life is good right now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about uh, the latest box set that was coming out. Well, another Bowie album gets its official release on November 26th. It's the long lost toy album. This was recorded back in 2001. 
Uh, he took his touring band into the studio to re-record some songs he had originally done back between 70, uh, 64 and 71, uh, live in the studio. Uh, a new one was called Toy, Your Turn to Drive. Uh, the album was never released. Um, this was a big reason that Bowie left that label. He, they, he was angry that it was never released. He went on to record Heathen after that. Um, this album was leaked in 2001, but it's never had an official release before now. Uh, there will be an expanded edition called Toy Box that will come out in January, the day after his birthday, um, with all kinds of alternate takes and mixes and B-sides. But I will warn you, the cover art for this album is really disturbing. Uh, next year, of course, would be Bowie's 75th birthday, and more releases and merchandise and all kinds of things are in the works, so... Keep your eyes out, and again, if you're a Bowie fan, I think your holidays are spoken for. Depeche Mode is going to release an expanded, high-def version of their 1989 uh, concert documentary film, uh, 101, that comes out December 3rd. The Blu-ray disc includes three previously unseen bonus performances of A Question of Lust, Sacred, and Something to Do, and the promo video for Everything Counts, and... As so many of them do now, uh, there will also be a 48-page photo book, a replica of the movie poster, and a double CD of the original 20-track 101 live album. And a couple of tours in the works. Red Hot Chili Peppers are going out for a world tour there next year. It's their first one with Dave Frusconti back in the band. They will have special guests including The Strokes, Beck, St. Vincent, Haim, uh, Thundercat, King Princess, and many more. Uh, the U.S. leg will be in the summer. And New Kids on the Block have announced a mixtape tour for 2022 with salt and Peppa, En Vogue, and Rick Astley. Tickets for that are on sale now. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the ceremony is coming up on October 30th, and they're finally getting around to announcing the presenters and performers. I will fill you in on that next week. We will catch you next time. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. Welcome back. Now it's for time for the Creative Outlet segment. And we're here with friend of the show, Robert Jeffrey. Welcome back, sir. Hey, how's everybody doing? All right, all right. Uh, so tell us about what's going on with you. So uh, I'm currently a part of a Kickstarter for a comic book uh, called After Image uh, for the first issue. And, you know, I, I've been telling people that if you're a fan of superheroes like Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man, or Virgil Hawkins of Static, you know, fame, and <clears throat> then this is a series for you. You know, we have a um, young teen superhero who's, you know, pretty much kind of on the ropes, you know, with like everybody's kind of coming at him uh, from a variety of different spheres. So we're, you know, it's just a kind of a, you know, a superhero story for today's generation of readers. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and, and you are now, is this part of a, a new universe or um, is this a, like a bigger thing or just a single story? So this is, it's a part of a larger universe that uh, the publisher is putting together uh, okay. concept 
Moon Studios, and I've I was brought on to help build the story of of Khalil, uh, his uh, or After Image. Uh, so he's a you know I guess you could say he's a drop in a larger pond or like lake of, <laughs> of superheroes. But um, and actually as a part of the Kickstarter, you can at a different tier that you can pledge at, you can get another book which takes place in this universe. Ah. So, yeah. I was just about to I was just about to ask you about the uh rewards that you get. Of course, you know, you get the there's the digital copy and the mm-hmm. physical copy, but uh what else uh goodies are are being offered there? So from what I've seen is like we we have hoodies, <laughs> we have <laughs> uh posters, we have prints. Uh there are tiers where you can get pretty much like the back um the back issues of all of, you know, a bunch of other books that Concept Moon Studios has put together mm-hmm. in, in the past. And uh, I think there's even a tier where we're going to, they're going to start offering um, some awesome prints too. So, um, so outside, after that, I don't know where the stretch goals are going to go, but I, I know like, it seems like we have tiers for everybody. So if you just want to get a digital copy of the book, there's that for five dollars, but if you want to be a big spender, <laughs> there's also <laughs> we there's always also encourage that, right? Too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, now this is uh, issue one of mm-hmm. uh, After Image. Is there uh, is this a self-contained story or is it part of uh, um, a series? So this is it's a it's a self-contained story, you know, focused on you know After Image and um, you know showing him you know, going through the motions of becoming, you know, the, a teen superhero. Um, one of the things, though, that I, I have spoken about with um, Brandon, is he's the, uh, he's the head of Concept Moon, is, to, is expanding his story so that we can incorporate more characters from that universe and future story arcs. For So for right now, I can tell you that I've, I've turned in scripts for four issues, huh? you know, for the series. So, yeah, so that's... Uh, and it's and they're solely focused, well, at least at this point, you know, on um, after image. Um, but we're going to expand it in future issues, you know, to wow. to incorporate other characters from this universe. Awesome, awesome, and the art looks fantastic. Thank you, man. Thanks. Yeah, we. Um, uh, I, I I always tell people I've been blessed, you know, with um, <laughs> talented, you know, talented, talented artists uh, when it comes to you know, the stuff that I work on. And you know, right now on this one, we have, I think it's, his name is Muhammad uh, Saad Rudin. Rudin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But um, his, the, the art, when I, when we were getting the pencils and the inks and I was just like, I need, I want to get this out to people ASAP, <laughs> you know, just like so people can see, you know, the awesome work that he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like he's uh no stranger to this publisher either. He's worked on some other no. Concept Moon uh mm-hmm. productions as well. So very cool. Yeah. Um and uh it's funny that you mentioned that uh you know you that there one of the rewards is hoodies cuz uh, I looks like the the main guy, the main hero wears a hoodie, so. Yeah, I apparently I have a thing for hoodies and <laughs> for superheroes. <laughs> like you go back to like as far back as Route Three or yeah. even before that, I I had a story called Daddy's Little Girl, and the the main heroine in that had a hoodie. So, uh, you know, I, I love I love After Images costume design. He's a he's a teleporter. Uh-huh. You know, that's his that's his um his main ability, and the 
the hood gives them like an air of mystery, you know? Um, so I, you know, I, I personally didn't have a say in his costume design. So I, you know, when I got the gig and I was like, okay, another hoodie, you know, so there we go. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's Robert's trademark. (laughs) That's a little different. It's got that sort of, uh, thing in the middle where the point in the middle sort of, sort of looks like Raven from the Titans, but, uh, um, but, uh, very cool. No, it looks really cool. And uh, we definitely encourage people to pledge. It looks like you're just shy, but you've got some time left. So I, I'm sure you make it. And whatever we can do to help, uh, we'll definitely have a link in the show notes. Uh, anything else that you want to say about the project? Or uh, get in on the ground floor. You know, it's a uh, yes. pledge and share as much as possible. And you know, and thanks for whatever support you can give. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if you want to make sure you get this book, that this book happens, uh, the way you do that is by pledging, even if they've met their goal, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, it's, it's a little difficult to get those books afterwards after the Kickstarter's over. So, uh, so join on now and, and yeah, there's plenty of options. If you just want to get the single book or you want to jump into the whole universe, uh, you can do so. So, Definitely very cool. Very cool project. So uh, good luck. Thank you. All right. Take care, ma'am. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about the movie sneak previews we got out of DC Fandom. DC Fandom's virtual con was this past weekend, and we got a lot of great trailers and sneak peeks out of it. I was really happy to see some behind the scenes and a few scenes from Shazam 2 and The Black Adam, since we had not really heard a lot about them since both had started filming or just finished filming. Shazam 2 looks like it's going to be just as fun as the first film, and Black Adam looks like it's going to be amazing. Even from the small scene that was shown, the film looks really well done, and I'm really pumped for both of them. We got a trailer for the new Batman movie, which looks pretty good. It was mostly action and fight scenes that we saw, which gave me a real 90s Batman vibe from it, especially with how all the villains looked. So I'm really excited to see what this film has in store for us. And while not a movie, we got a trailer for the Peacemaker TV show that will be on HBO Max, and it looks like it's going to be a great mix of funny and action. We have the tech gang from the Suicide Squad movie having what looks like a larger role, and they were one of the best parts of that movie comedy-wise, I thought. And the show starting up right where the Suicide Squad movie left off. Also, DC's TV shows have been pretty spot on and really good. So I'm really hopeful that this one's going to be a lot of fun as well. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to come to a close of the Earth Station One podcast. Want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. And of course, Mr. Mike, it's weird. Just no guests to thank or anything tonight. It was yeah. just, just you and I tonight. Just you and me. Just the two of us. See, that's my scare for everybody for this Halloween. I just sang. So. Yes, I know. My ears are <laughs> bleeding on this. One. Exactly. That's uh you're welcome. Yeah. For anyone, for my shout out, if anyone is an ear, nose, and throat doctor, please write me. I'm going to need to get some hearing aids because my ears are bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, uh, it was awesome hanging with you at Monsterama, and I thought that panel went very, very well. Yes. In fact, my shout out is to uh, last week, I gave a shout out to the people behind uh, Monsterama slash SpyCon, and I emphasized the SpyCon part of it. Uh, because I had a lot of fun uh, being part of the panels and helping out that way. 
But this week, I want to give a shout out to the Monsterama side of things. Uh, because that, that you know, I'm, we got to see so many cool guests, so many good friends of ours. Uh, the award-winning artist Mark Maddox, as course, and uh, uh, Dacre Stoker, who's been on our show a few times, uh, and and many other people uh, that um, that we connected with and are just part of this really cool monster-loving community, uh, and and that love like classic horror stuff too, um, and and it's just a really cut fun con for to get together and celebrate that. So. Big props to Anthony and Suzanne for being the co-chairs of the cons, as well as Darren Bush, who does uh, programming for them, who uh, I think we were technically part of that track. Um, yes, we were. And actually, Darren like wrote me. He wanted me almost on like three quarters of the panels. <laughs> Can you do this one? Can you do this one? Can you do this one? I, I, I feel his pain because as people started like canceling more and more, uh, leading up to the weekend, I was asking more and more people to do more and more panels as well. So, uh, so we had a lot of bla- a lot of fun. Uh, I wish I could have been on more monster and media panels, but of course, my main focus was the SpyCon stuff, which I don't regret. But I'm glad we took the opportunity to be uh, to do one uh, panel uh, for the uh, interview with the Vampire Celebration. It is a book that, as I mentioned in the in the episode. Uh, meant a lot to me, and uh, I was glad to share that celebration with a lot of people who, from all ages, you know, from all generations, that book still resonates, and uh, it's pretty cool to to talk about it. It was really awesome, and the conversation flew. It's It didn't even drag at all, because sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get people involved with the panel. This one was not that way at all, and no. the folks got in, and it, like it said, the hour flew by. I we probably could sat have sat there for another two hours and not stopped. No, yeah. I mean there's a lot to talk about, and uh, you know we'll keep an eye out when the series starts. You know if it's uh, worthy, we'll 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 discuss it here on the show for sure. Uh, I'll be checking it out anyway. So, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure we we make sure we thanked uh, that I gave a shout out to all the people who were responsible again for the Monsterama side of things. Uh, even if there was no SpyCon, I would still support Monsterama. Uh, it just happens that they're both really great shows that are great together. So hopefully they'll be back next year. Hopefully we'll, and we'll be back next year. If they are back next year, we'll definitely be part of it. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that. That is awesome. Uh, my shout out is something I watched on the Disney channel actually this last week. God, I've been saying a lot of Disney, you know, with the Star Wars visions and other stuff we've talked about. This time, of course, it's the Muppets we got to talk about. Muppets, yeah. The Muppets did The Haunted Mansion. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. It paid a lot of homage to the actual original Haunted Mansion, both at Disneyland and Disney World. And it had Gonzo. It had as the feature and it was just it was just awesome and will arnett as you know as the butler caretaker narrator and it was just a ton of fun to watch it had a lot of cameos people i didn't even expect to even see in this and it was it was nice and it was enjoyable it was family friendly but it you know it got there were some creepy parts but it was it was a ton of fun and you know bravo to the muppets and you know, I enjoyed it and makes me really want to go back to Disney now to go back to the Haunted Mansion, even yeah, more so that, now. 
that's an itch I need to scratch because last time I was at Disney, Haunted Mansion was down. Ooh. So I did not get to go. Uh, that was the one time, that's the only time I brought Michelle to the Magic Kingdom. And so she hasn't experienced it yet either. And I, I just, yeah, I need to get back there at some point. But uh, it is definitely, uh, the Muppet uh, Haunted Mansion special is, is definitely on my uh, viewing list uh, for this month, as well as the uh st- the lego star wars holiday sp- halloween special yes which uh ashley pauls gave a really good review of in uh, recently on uh esonetwork.com so i am very eager to check out both of those and uh yeah i mean look disney is going to be something that we watch every month well of course you know almost every week well, we're co- already <laughs> almost, we're coming up, uh, Hawkeye is coming soon. Exactly. And then we also, then right after that, we're going to have the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to stop. I mean, you li- you saw all the announcements of stuff that's coming. I mean, oh, we're not, we're going to be, you know, we're going to, there's no downtime. You know, if it, look, people are looking to, oh, I think I'll dump my subscription for Disney Plus and, and have something else for a month or so. You can't because there's just too much good stuff. Nope. Wait, wait, wait. There's more, as we like to say. Yep. And if you're a Disney fan, if you're a Marvel fan, you're a Star Wars fan, if you're a Simpsons yes, yes, fan. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Even if you're a National Geographic fan, there's some amazing stuff on there. I've been watching tons of it, and it's just – there's great, great stuff out there, and I'm loving it. So definitely, God, I sound like a show for Disney+. Plus. I've got to stop that. You know, I, I'll say it. I think they're the best streaming service. For the for the value of the money you pay or whatever, I I think they're the best one out there. Really, that's I I think you're right because I'm trying to think which else would come close. There isn't, not even Netflix or Amazon. No. I think Dis- I think Disney is pretty much it. That's pretty awesome though. So definitely check it out, folks. Definitely check out Muppets Haunted Mansion. Thumbs up for the whole family. And speaking of fun for the whole family. We will be back again next week. As mentioned earlier in this episode, episode 600 is coming our way. And we are going to be reviewing the movie Dune. With David That's Lynch? Right. The David Lynch movie? We're finally no. going to on the show? No. <laughs> I'm still trying to make sense of that one. So, no. Uh, no, we are not. So, we are going to be watching Dune. And we're going to have our movie crew here. So, it should be a ton of fun. And, of course, it will always be special just to celebrate with my podcast partner here mr mike gordon absolutely 600 Woo. 600 you know when i first started this thing i was like we make it to 10 i'll be happy you know <laughs> god 11 I, years later 11 years later let's shoot for a thousand what the hell <laughs> what the heck i'm saying it now that's another 400 Woo. so that's eight years eight, oh don't 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 do math like that. Don't. <laughs> God, that will make me really old. So yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be broadcasting from our retirement homes. <laughs> I'm glad you're retiring. I ain't never gonna retire. <laughs> Can't afford it. Yeah, so. that's the truth. Oh yeah, but of course we'd love to hear from you guys. Feedback at earthstation1.com, and of course, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered, as always, by NSC. You could find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including Amazon Music and so many other places. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mr. Mike Faber, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, 
Thanks to God for listening, and we'll see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, and please get vaccinated, folks. Peace, and we are done. And Ooh. happy Halloween! <laughs> I'm going to go overdose on candy now. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.